feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. What up, son? You gotta just do it, yo. Yeah, man. Yo, what up, man? It's a different channel, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. What up? All good, baby. In every hood, son. What up? Yeah. CNN Network Channel 10. It's on again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, get in your face. Stay in place, yo. Crime late. Cast more beef than Scarface. And we're back, part two of episode numero cinco of the Channel 10 Podcast. Make sure you check us out, channel10podcast.com. Look out for us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. All the links are at the website, so check that out. iTunes, Stitcher. Um, email us at channel10podcast at gmail.com so we can address your questions, concerns, issues, and whatever else um, on the show. Um, so, yeah, when we ended, um, I think you mentioned um, we were talking about, you know, the mixtape rappers and everything like that, and you mentioned Graph, and um, you wanted to talk about... Um, I guess getting into why he didn't necessarily make it. Yeah. Um you know, um I'm not I guess if I had to say you know, Graf was like he was like really one like like one of those like really first early um blog hip hop rappers, whatever whatever you want to call them. And you know how they always say, I guess, like the pioneers, they kind of, you know, they had to sacrifice themselves in order for people, other people to become successful. Yeah. And Grav, he did, I mean, he did, he had like a, quite a bit of success. I mean, you know, because, you know, at, around the same time when Boss was becoming, you know, what they what they are today, um, you still had to, like, the, the smack DVDs, the come up DVDs, and so on and so forth. And, Every five minutes, you will see like you know the red cafes, the the Shea Davises, and the the Grabs and Casmers. Every five minutes, when he smack and come up DVDs, and you know Grab, he was torn. He had you know the Oracle and other other things coming out, and it seemed like he was going to take over, and he just didn't. And the thing that makes me kind of interested about Grab and why he didn't make it although I don't really know, is because of the fact that he just kind of had, you know, he had it, that kind of star aura about him, that personality, you know? Yeah, yeah, he did. It's it's interesting because, like, not only that, but he had, like, the lyrical capabilities. I mean, some of the things that he was saying and doing on these tracks was just incredible. Um, And, you know, he was able to make the transition from you know, just the straight street mixtapes to the blogs and, you know, still keep it up and get a buzz. And I think he might have been the first uh, independent artist to get his video in rotation on uh, either MTV or MTV2, something like that, with the whole MySpace jump-off thing. So yeah, he was mm-hmm. in there early, like, on the whole Internet wave. Um, but I do remember some people saying that, like, basically kind of saying the opposite of what you were saying. Um, about him not having those things, and I guess, I guess it had to do with people feeling like his flow and his lyrics were too complicated or too off kilter or like too over people's heads, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't.
simple and direct and straight to the point. And I remember people calling um, calling him the black Eminem at one point. And that's kind of like a gift and a curse because, you know, if Eminem was black, <laughs> what would he be, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a that's a good point. I mean, so I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was a uh, uh, maybe I guess a, a bit too too ahead of his time because now you know you don't really have his issue. I mean, now we 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 want that black Eminem at this point. Yeah, and it's like you know I still think he has a chance to still come out and do his thing. I mean, he's been dropping like the Painkillers mixtape series and things like that. Um, but I remember. You know, his uh, debut album, Autograph, was so anticipated, and he dropped it for free, and, you know, that kind of created a resurgence in his buzz. And um, I remember Shia LaBeouf shouted him out on something. It might have been, like, one of those late-night talk shows or something like that. He said mm-hmm. Graf is, like, one of his favorite rappers. And um, he did have a deal with Koch. Remember, he came out with that single with Jim Jones and all that? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, but um, I don't know, man. Sometimes things don't work out for certain people, and you know, it might have just been the team that he had around him. I know since then he's left Black Hand, and then um, there was that whole thing where um, you know, there were thoughts of maybe Fifty Cent had something to do with him being blocked from a lot of things because mm-hmm. you know. Chaz, who ran Black Hand, was um, 50 Cent's um, first manager back when 50 was with uh, Columbia. And, mm-hmm. you know, that ended up being some black, uh, bad blood between them. So him, you know, having Grassland's label, you know, he felt like maybe, maybe possibly 50 Cent had something to do with that. So, because um, I remember, like, maybe like a year or two ago, uh, Graf said online that he went up to the junior office to, you know, go have a meeting with 50 Cent and let him know that, you know, you don't have no problem with him. And if you got anything to do with this, just please let up. But, um, but, uh, you know, um, I think 50 wasn't there when he came up there. But that's one of them dudes who, you know, I hope, and I, you know, I, I don't doubt that he'll find his, uh, you know, his little niche again and, you know, get his buzz popping again because, you know, he's still making some good music. Yeah. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet him um, you know, on numerous occasions. And he's a real good dude, real funny and everything like that, which is funny because, you know, when I was first listening to his music in high school, um, I guess that aspect of his personality didn't necessarily come out in it at first, so... You know, I kind of always thought he was this crazy dude. <laughs> but um, then when I met him, you know, he seemed like a real cool, you know, funny, cracking jokes kind of guy. And then I noticed that that side of his personality started to come out in his music more, which I thought was dope. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't know. Sometimes, you know, when you're ahead of your time like that, I remember because he was... He was real big in D.C. for a while, and there was a point where, you know, people kind of associated him with being a D.C. rapper because he was down there so heavy. But, um, yeah, hopefully he gets that thing popping like, like how it was. Another person like Grass is uh, Saigon. And mm-hmm. it's like, I guess we had the conversation before how, um, you know, 
a lot of times, you know, we might mention somebody to like a chick, and the chick will be like, "Oh, from Love and Hip Hop." <laughs> yeah. And we just be like, "What? No." <laughs> and it's like Saigon is one of those people. It's like you know, his archives of and his uh, catalog of music is just tremendous. At least to me. Um, you know, from warning shots all the way up. And then, you know, he had everything going for him. He had a song produced by Just Blaze with the Swiss Beats hook and Jay-Z on the remix. He had, you know, a recurring role in Entourage. He had that first single, Pain in My Life, with uh, Trey Songs. I think Game was on the remix. Like, but, with, you know, with all of that, he had a, you know, a huge mixtape buzz and all of that. Jay-Z even shouted him out and said that, uh, that you know, he's the next big thing to watch out for. Yeah. And all of that, it's like he ended up leaving the label, putting out his album independently, and it didn't make the big splash that everyone had hoped for. But, you know, he's still able to have a viable career doing his music, which, uh, you know, is good. And um, even though I wasn't really too fond of his last album from what I heard of it, um, but um, I don't know. It's like all these all these stories of these people you used to listen to and then wonder where they end up now. Like you got your Grafs, your Saigons, your Pat Pooses, and all these type of people. Yeah, and you know, you come like thinking about it now. Um, like, the great majority of the people that, you know, we would see when these come up DVDs and smack DVDs, a lot of them, they just aren't around anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember, um, you remember Shells? Yeah. Yeah, Shells was nice. You don't hear anything from him anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think the only person like Shay Davis, I mean, I know Shay Davis, he still comes out with stuff every now and again. Um, but I like, like shells, and I think even cashmere. Like I know cashmere, like just dropped off the face of the earth. Wasn't he? Didn't he end up with Dipset or D Block or somebody at some point? I think it was D Block in some type of weird way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, like if that's the same cashmere, I remember him being on like posse cuts with a whole bunch of the new Rough Riders and. Maybe on the end of some DMX uh, album or like on Rough Riders volume 87. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the thing, but you know, like those Mike DVDs, you know, sometimes he will have like some, you know, be on like one, like, you know, one of those leading covers and stuff like that. Or even like on the, uh, on the main menu yeah. of the DVD. I think, um, I think. It's weird because, you know, back then there weren't that many avenues you could take. You know, it was like you went from mixtape to deal, you know, to putting out everything in, in the traditional type of way to where now, I guess in the Internet age, um, it's like you kind of have like the freshman cover. And it's yeah. like out of everybody on the freshman cover, all these people, some of them kind of fall off the face of the earth. But then they come back in these weird different ways and their careers take these different trajectories that nobody has ever seen before. 
So, like, you think of somebody like, let's say, a Wale, who, you know, came out real strong, first album flopped, disappeared for a while, came back with a dope mixtape, signed with a big label, and has been kind of killing it ever since. And then you have um, Kid Cudi, who, you know, got huge, got this crazy cult following, and then puts out, like, little weird side projects that kind of get a huge buzz. And, you know, until people await his next album, and all they're going to do is talk about how it wasn't as good as the first one. I mean, yeah, and then even, like, with the first one, the first one didn't even get, you know, like, good, I I mean, you know, uh, good reviews from critics. Yeah. And then, um, I'm trying to think of somebody else. And you had your Corey Guns, who's never put out a project, but had his own reality show. Yeah, that was kind of wild to me. And then you have Blue, who, uh, does his Blue thing. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, somehow, you know, it ends up in various conversations. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, it's like for the mixtape rapper of the early 2000s, or the DVD rapper of the early 2000s, you know, you just keep on putting out mixtapes and popping up on DVDs until, you know, there's nothing else more you can do. Unless you yeah. had, like, a solid internet team behind you. And, you know, not too many people really popped off from that era or, you know, were able to do something to where they'd be heard from again. Like, I think other than 50 Cent and, you know, his affiliates, Gina and all that. And, um, well, I guess you had Fabulous, you had 50 Cent, and you had Joe Budden. Oh, yeah. And Joe Budden even fell off the map for a good minute. Yeah, didn't he get back on the drugs or something like that? I don't know if he got back on the drugs. I remember he signed the Def Jam and his uh, album came out and his album was, you know, commercial failure or whatever. So he was basically kind of stuck in his contract. I remember they were putting out singles and stuff for his second album, but, you know, like... He even admitted they were kind of corny and they weren't really him. And they weren't songs that he wanted to do. So, um, I think after a while, he, like, he put out the first Moon Music mixtape. And, and like, every time his bus started building, it made it harder for him to get out of his deal. So then he just stopped putting out music and doing anything to promote his career. And so, you know, they finally dropped him. And I guess he dropped the iconic mixtape, Moon Music 2. And that was like the resurgence of him. Mm. I know now he just sells hundreds of thousands of copies independently. Yeah, selling music independently, popping off his slaughterhouse. Uh, He has his podcast now, which I haven't listened to yet. Um, Yeah. And uh, just living a wild life. I know he has those pool parties in the summer at his house. And um, I know the the, uh, NYPD is looking for him. And every once in a while, they tweet out his picture. <laughs> what are you looking for him? Uh, some stolen cell phone. I thought he got that cleared up, but something about a stolen cell phone and some girl. I guess one of oh. the uh, models that he bangs. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. 
quite an interesting career. And then I think he was on Love and Hip Hop and all that. He's another he's another one of Love and Hip Hop rappers where, you know, you you say Joe Budden to somebody, oh, from Love and Hip Hop. It's like nah, ten minutes. <laughs> like the first Joe Budden album had some gems on there. Then you had Moon Music two and three, even four. You know, you had the padded room joint, like so. Like the catalog is deep. Slaughterhouse, like. But I guess that's just the world we live in. I mean, well, I know well, Def Jam. They just had some some fails in the. It's funny how like around that the, around the period of Joe Button, Def Jam, they had like the epic fails of you know Joe Joe Button's album to a certain extent and uh and Kong. Who they were kind of like put a lot of stock behind, and then you know you can even say you know Ghostface album because I'm assuming y'all supposed to be a platinum album if they put Missy Elliott behind one one of the singles. Yeah. And but then at the same time they had Def Jam and Dutta that came out around the same time. Yeah, they were making a lot of money on Def Jam and Vendetta. and actually I think Joe Budden was in there. Comp was in the second one. Um, that was a dope concept, I guess, for a game. But um, I'm trying to think. Like that jam. Also, they dropped that Redman album. I don't even know if you remember it. I can't think of the name of it. Was it Red's Gone Wild? Red Gone Wild. Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty dope yeah. album, but nobody paid attention to it. Does it ain't, they didn't give it any type of commercial push? Yeah. Was that the old Jay Z era? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so that's right, because that's when you had uh, Jeezy and Rick Ross and uh, Rihanna and Kanye. I guess those were like the biggest things at the Def Jam at that point. The only things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Neo. No, that's right, and he had that random... The first song he was he even had had Petey Crack on it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I guess Petey Crack will probably eat off that forever. Hopefully. But um, they still make Def Jam and other video games. I know they made a couple of them. And I don't think they do anymore. Uh, that game was kind of weird because, like, it's like only in hip hop where you have video game of real-life black people just doing violent things to each other. <laughs> what about Wu-Tang, Meet Shaolin? What was, what was that was called? Oh, man, Wu-Tang Shaolin style. Yeah. Yeah, man, that was another bloody video game. That was interesting, too, because, like, you have your whole crew as characters and they fighting each other. But, yeah, that <laughs> game was... I never thought about it that way. <laughs> Like literally, like like beating each other bloody worse than Mortal Kombat. So, and you know that game was dope. It was um, and they took that game Thrill Kill that was too violent to ever come out that everybody was waiting mm-hmm. for, and then they took that and they just put Wu Tang members on it and put it out like that. And that was touted as the first four player fighting game. And um, I had that four-player adapter. Yeah. That was some good times. <laughs> yeah, 
Hell yeah. Do you remember um the video game Loaded? Oh, man. I vaguely remember Loaded. Oh, man. I'm trying to remember the game. Like, I'm thinking about the intro screen right now. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a pretty violent. That was a violent-ass game. Mm. Yeah, there was some yeah, like, violent-ass games out there. Yeah. Uh, Mortal Kombat X or Mortal Kombat 10 is about to drop, I think. Hmm. That's the thing, like, I'm not really too, um, too up to date on the games, like the video games that come out nowadays, but I feel, I just, I don't know, like, I mean, some of the games that, you know, that we played back in the day, they seem a bit more bloodier than some of the games that come out now. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, um, I think the games now are kind of like more focused on being realistic, like with these modern warfare type joints. Mm. So I guess you know, and I think that whole trend started with uh, what was that one game, uh, Medal of Honor? But, oh yeah. But yeah, besides like the Mortal Kombat and stuff, you don't really see a whole lot of gratuitous violence. And um, video games, from my understanding right now, I mean, it might it might be there. I just don't know about it. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I think, um, oh, you said Medal of Honor, you mean Metal Gear Solid. No, Medal of Honor, it kind of started that whole realism in games. Um, because remember, they were trying to be, like, really accurate to all of the stuff that was happening in World War Two, down to the guns and the scenery and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, I was thinking about, um, about Metal Gear Solid and how, um, how, you know, how, how, how like, you, you could have, like, your, your character snake, um, smoke cigarettes, Oh, yeah. But while, like, it's helping him out, it's still, like, bringing his health down, whatever, like that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty realistic. Yeah, it was pretty realistic. Like, <laughs> it served a function in the game because you had to do that sometimes to see the lasers, um, the laser trip wires. Oh, yeah. But speaking of uh, Metal Gear, I, I hear the last one is coming out soon. Like, after this, they're not making any more Metal Gear Solids. They still might make other Metal Gear games, but it won't be like a Metal Gear Solid game, whatever that's supposed to mean. No, I mean, has Nick, has Nick been, like, the main character in all of them so far? I believe so. Even going back to regular Nintendo. Yeah, I, I forget that it even has, like, the origins from, I mean, on Nintendo. Yeah, I haven't even, um, I've been meaning to, like, look for it and try to find it or something. But, um, it's interesting, like, the way certain games take shape. Like, um, remember when I used to have the old Grand Theft Autos? Oh, yeah. Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2, and then the little add-on CD that they had. And it's like, for most people, Grand Theft Auto starts at 3. <laughs> yeah. Man, that that just revolutionized the way you kill people in the game, man. It was like it just gave you so much freedom within the yeah, game. Man. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a huge world to explore, and you just did whatever you wanted to do. Like, and then if you wanted to play a story, you could do that, and that was entertaining enough. And, you know, you could get lost for hours just sitting on that game and doing nothing at all. See, that's the thing. Like, I think, like, Grand Theft Auto 3 is, like, one of those games like that changed my life. Mm. <laughs> just, like, the freedom that it gave you. Like that form of escape, and you're just in this world. You can you can fuck prostitutes and <laughs> and have these different guns, big bazookas, and blow up you know cop cars. You can start shit with people. Mm. And then once you um, did too much, the police would be after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the same time, I taught you a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And then. And then and, and, and they try to say that uh, it's so detrimental to the youth and all that. It's, it's showing you what's going to happen to you if you engage in these type of activities. Yeah, man. It's kind of like you know the um, like the 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 uh, the, the dog carnival mythology that you know the insane clown posse um came up with, and how pretty much all the albums are based around. Um, this one character within their their mythology, and how this one character represents um, a, a particular like uh, I guess sinful lack of a better term. Now, I'm not entirely sure if they use that term, but you know they're pretty much showing you what can happen to you if you if you keep doing this the same thing that's wrong. Mm. That's kind of deep. <laughs> yeah. Only thing that um, when I think about them is that one song that they came out with recently when um, people were making fun of the video. Oh, you want know, to talk about the Earth and shit? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I was thinking about that too because usually if you put if you go out to YouTube and put like that in, like put the Saint Clown Posse, that's like the first thing that comes up. And I was thinking about I have I have yet to watch re like rewatch it, but. Just knowing how they are and you know what they do, or whatever like that, I can only help but like but, but think that um, that video and that song was kind of a uh, like a parody, you know, kind of making fun of shit. Hmm. I don't know what they were doing. Like, <laughs> I I don't know because like I remember seeing some type of interview or some type of response, and they were talking, they were like defending it, like they were really serious about that. So. I don't know. But, um... <laughs> I always think about... Um... Tech 9 and how, uh... On Absolute Power, which we were talking about earlier, he references the killer clowns, and he refers to he and people as killer clowns. And, um... You know, our terminology, you know, a clown is the, one of the worst things you can be. <laughs> yeah. So that always tripped me out until I figured out that there was a whole mythology about, you know, the clowns and clowning in um I think Kansas City where he's from. So it's interesting that like I guess how I guess clown mythology and hip hop is kind of a thing. Because <laughs> I'm saying clown po uh, posse has it too. I mean yeah well, yeah them and you know I guess me um like you know, you know I always think of like uh um twisted Oh, yeah, they were like an offshoot of them, weren't they? 
Yeah, but um, I'm not entirely sure if they like follow the same mythology or if they do something totally different. So I don't know. All this shit, all this shit kind of creeps me out. <laughs> I heard that uh, the top clown school is more expensive than Harvard. Oh well. Yeah, where where like, where's that located? Probably in New York. Mm. But you know, people take that clowning seriously. Yeah, I see. Getting like certificates and degrees in it and stuff. I don't know, this kinda of slipped me out when like you told me about about clown schools. I just never knew that I never thought of of them existing. <laughs> yeah, you gotta learn how to be a clown. I mean when you think about it, clowning is a performance art, so Oh yeah, that is true. I you know, I need to get like I need to um to learn more into the history of clowns. I did it once, but then I forgot everything that I found out. But um I do remember it being like a really interesting history. And um Another interesting thing is, like, mimes, <laughs> all that type of shit, like. Oh, yeah. Now, there's, like, like with mimes, there's, like, a whole different type of history philosophy based around them, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think, of course, it goes back to slavery and probably before that. Um, but only thing I know is, um, you know, like, my girlfriend, she goes off on uh, the, the, the miming ministry in the church. <laughs> and while I... Huh? Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, and uh, she goes off about that. And, you know, it's like, you know, you're here to get the word of God. And, you know, why do you need mimes to do that? <laughs> and yeah. then, like, she goes into the history of it and, you know, finds out that it's, a, you know, it's like all of this, like, kind of demonic stuff behind it. And um, where it started, I, I can't think of the uh, specifics right now, but... um Apparently, church mimes are a thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they do like these miming performances to gospel music. And sometimes, like the gospel choirs, will have mimes like doing these weird interpretive dances. Um, mm-hmm. I guess to the message, and um, yeah, miming is alive and well in the black church community. You see, you, you would you would never think that that's that's the craziest thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, they don't really do, like, miming how you would think of miming. Like, it's more like interpretive dance dressed up like mimes. Like. That's creepier. Yeah. I mean, because they're not, like, pulling a rope or anything like that. You know, they're just kind of just doing some weird shit. <laughs> yeah. It's but, bad enough, you know, have these motherfuckers speaking tongues and shit. I mean, you know. Miming for Jesus. Jesus loves all the mimes. Uh, uh, that was in the Bible. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess whatever oh. keeps the uh, ghetto youth them off of the streets. 
Yo, crime late, cast more